I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions, and thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage isn't one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. Hey, thank you for listening to The Void. My name's Kevin O'Connor, and first up on today's episode, we're going to go through some of Tuesday's games, look ahead to some other stuff this week, and discuss the latest news. After that, we get a deep dive, looking at the NBA as a whole through the lens of Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. We're talking about the changing role for bigs, how it impacts the game, the MVP race, how Jokic just keeps improving, and what the potential return of Murray and Michael Porter Jr. could mean for Denver in the NBA Finals race. As you're going to hear, we're trying something a little bit different with that part of the conversation, uh, more narrative podcast style. I was, I'm not going to lie, I was inspired by Derek Thompson's show, Plain English. I love what they do and thought we'd try something a little different uh, with that section of the pod. But we start off with Adam Mares, one of the smartest people covering the NBA. He's out of the Denver area. He's the podcast co-host of DNVR Nuggets and Locked On Nuggets. He's also the VP of creative production at DNVR Sports. The dude wears a lot of hats. He's a busy guy. And I'm thankful he took the time out this morning to talk about the NBA. Adam, how are you doing, man? It is a bright and sunny day in the Mile High City. It's actually a snowy and cold, freezing cold day, but it's a bright and sunny day in our hearts and minds. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, obviously the Russell Wilson news broke and, and the, the Broncos are hopefully coming out of their six-year slumber. They very well could be with Russell Wilson. It seems like they got him for a good price. We saw some good NBA games last night. Kyrie Irving scored 50 points. Uh, it was the most efficient, uh, according to true shooting percentage, 50-point game in NBA history. That's won that 132-121 over the Hornets. Adam, I mean, right now we still have a situation here where Kyrie Irving remains a part-time player. Before we recorded the pod this morning, I saw uh, on ESPN's front page, Stephen A. Smith, like ranting against Kyrie Irving, still a part-time player. You know, we're taught we're getting distracted by the show. Are we getting distracted by the show here in terms of projecting what Brooklyn could be come playoff time or even making the playoffs, considering the fact that they are still in the play-in bubble? 
I mean, of course, there's no question about it right now. <laughs> as, as things said, I mean, first of all, it was a fantastic game. And it is one of those reminders that Brooklyn on any given night can just become unbeatable. I mean, they have two players that are just, there's no solution for. And if Kyrie's not going to drop 50 every night, but when he does, you know, all you have left are prayers. But right now, as they sit, they would face Toronto in Toronto for the play-in. That's a, that's a sit-out game for Kyrie. So, mm-hmm. so yes, we are distracted a little bit because you start to look at this and you think there's a scenario where do they match up? Uh, you know, do they get paired somewhere where he just can't play a whole lot of games, can only play half and whatever? So um, it is still, unfortunately, a huge... Uh, uh, it's hard to get too excited about Brooklyn because of that. But when he plays, man, it's just... It's so weird. There's so many teams this year, Kevin, where you look at them and you're like, they're so good if. Like, every team has this giant if. It's so hard to project what this playoffs will be. Yeah, you're right, actually. And especially in the Western Conference right now. Who are the teams without the ifs, actually? I mean, now, uh, yes. now that you mentioned it, who, who doesn't have an if right now that's not a big one? Maybe Utah. Like, their ifs are more just about how they perform, but not so much are their players going to be there. But I was even looking at Chicago. I saw Caruso go back out east. You know, he's cleared for contact. The Bulls have kind of slid, and I think they're everybody's like fifth or sixth team out east. Yeah. But when you look at it and you go, Lonzo and Caruso made that a great defensive team. Can they be a great defensive team again? And then you add in sort of the clutch scoring and one-on-one scoring that they have uh, out on the wing. So they, to me, I haven't quite fully written them off because we're writing them off in a moment in time when they just don't have their guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Chicago. I think they've been buried a little bit too soon. And even, you know, granted with the Bulls at full strength, you're not, you're not taking them over some of the other teams in the East. It's like the argument I had with Chris Vernon about the Celtics the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they're not the favorite, but they have, they're a team that has a shot, and the Bulls have a shot. The, the Nets are one of those. They're, the Nets are the team that they go from having a shot to <laughs> being the favorites or one of the favorites if they get a full-time Kyrie Irving and they get a healthy Ben Simmons. And, and that's one of the things that, like watching last night's game with Kyrie scoring 50, Drummond has 20 for them. And with Drummond, he is a big-name guy, but he's not someone who actually has the big-name status anymore. But he's an important piece for that Nets team that they got in that deal. Bruce Brown is about to be replaced in the starting lineup by Ben Simmons whenever he actually gets back. And you got Bruce Brown every night who's scoring off easy dump-offs near the rim. He's cutting to the basket. He's setting screens, scoring on the short roll. He's being a nuisance on defense. And and we kind of, like, get an idea. It's a... It's a blurry vision of what the Nets are going to look like with Ben Simmons out there. And I don't know. Like I see the way they're using Seth Curry, running him through all the actions. They use Joe Harrison, who's going to be out for the rest of the season. We're not going to see Ben Simmons Thursday night in Philadelphia, right. uh, which is a shame. Right. Do- Doc Rivers said they should have a, a tribute video to him, <laughs> which would be comical with Simmons sitting it's on the bench. Cruel. <laughs> It'd be cruel to Simmons to do that, I think. The tribute video when he's sidelined? (laughs) Yeah, it's sidelined, and then everybody's just going to boo the whole time. At some point, you just have to acknowledge the situation and say, hey, man, like it's a good sentiment, but but the moment probably didn't call for it. We still have other guys not playing in the NBA right now. Kawhi Leonard was seen warming up uh, before the Clippers lost the Warriors on Tuesday night. He has not been cleared for contact. There's still nothing on Paul George, except Chris Haynes said that the Clippers are being cautious uh, with both of those guys. And he said, I spoke with Coach Lou, and he told me that if they can't get, get his guys back for games in the regular season, it wouldn't be safe for them to return in the playoffs. Here's my thing. I think they're coming back. It, really? It, like, this, is, this is just a, a, a gut feeling based on 
I mean, a couple of conversations across the league with people who believe the same thing as me. But you go back to September and October, Kawhi says he signs this long-term deal to increase the likelihood he can come back this season. Um, we see, we hear reports in January that he's ahead of schedule. Uh, we, we get all this stuff in the middle of March and working out before games. And it's, oh, would it be safe for them to come back in the playoffs if it's not in the regular season? Well, what if it just is in the regular season and the Clippers are keeping this quiet? Because there is a chance he doesn't. I mean, like, we don't know if setbacks will occur. They just don't want to. My, my, my belief based on a lot of things, some of that I just mentioned, is that the Clippers just don't want to set expectations too high. They just want to drop the drop the Woj bomb or drop the press release when it's that time. But I'm operating under the assumption that there's a strong likelihood that we see this crazy good Clippers team, granted they lost last night, with Kawhi Leonard and with Paul George come playoff time, which is wild to think about. If the Clippers somehow had those guys and they were able to give anything, I think all bets are off you know, for that first round. I mean, it, barring them playing Phoenix, I think Phoenix is the one team that you would need 100%. I, any team that's going to go against them is going to have to be 100% uh, to kind of play. But you talk about a Memphis Grizzlies team as it sits right now, 7-2, and I think Memphis is fantastic. But that Clippers team is extremely well coached. They have so much d- defensive versatility and, and, and so many big bodies they can throw and, and pack the pain and, and still close out and all those different things. Like, I look at that and I think... I. I'm so skeptical of it just because we're so late in the season. There's not that much time. Um, but I, I'm so high on the Clippers, their upside as a team. By the way, Denver's doing the same thing with Jamal Murray. And I get it. When you have a major knee injury, so much of this becomes psychological, becomes mental, and it becomes we don't want to put a pressure on a player. We want them to respond to their bodies and do this or that. So I, it was meaningful to me that Kawhi Leonard worked out in front of media members. Because it's very easy to have a guy work out not in front of media members and do the thing you're talking about. So that, it almost feels like a deliberate, hey, this is coming along. This is the thing that's actually still hanging out here. One of the things we're going to talk about later is uh, like just how different teams are using different types of defenses and the way they construct their rosters to best fit the personnel. And with the Clippers, it's like, you know, you bring back to a team that's already very good defensively. You bring back Kawhi Leonard, who might not be prime level. He isn't prime levels anymore, um, but he can still be a great defender. Paul George, who is a great defender. And I, I just get excited about the idea of seeing Ty Lue throw out Kawhi, George, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Robert Covington. It's like you have five guys on the court who are all 6'8", 6'9", multi-positional, smart, high, high IQ, hardworking defenders. And I'm like, damn, like that. Like, is that that feels like the future of basketball in some ways, just with a lineup like that? It's a great, I mean, it's certainly one avenue of the future of basketball. That's part of what yeah. I love about this era is there's like five or six different sort of um, styles or philosophies that, that it's going to be interesting to see which one wins. It's a bit of a paper, rock, scissors, I think. Some teams match up really well against others, unless, but, um, you know, the other thing about them coming back, if they were to come back, I think it makes it really difficult, whether you're Golden State or whether you're Memphis, it makes it more difficult to game plan saying, well, we don't know what they have to give. We don't know what this team looks like. I mean, this is a, as much as we have seen this somewhat of this Clippers team in the past, this is a new, they have new pieces, you know, with Covington and, and it, it just kind of a new look. So it would be hard, I think, for a Taylor Jenkins or even a Steve Kerr, but especially a Taylor Jenkins to say, we think this is what we want to do. Like, do we want to attack Kawhi Leonard? Is he the guy we want to make the mark? Like that's yeah. feel right. So Th- that's a great point. Yeah. 
you're right. Like you, you, you logically, a guy comes back from injury. You think he's limited. You want to attack him, but this is Kawhi. Leonard. Kawhi. <laughs> I just that's a tough game plan to sell, especially to a young team. Like, hey, uh, you know, Dylan Brooks or whoever. Like, we want you to ISO Kawhi Leonard. That's our that's our strategy here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hadn't thought about it like that. With the, in terms of if they come back late. Sometimes you just don't know what to expect. It's a, it's a huge curveball. Uh, I mean, that, that, that'll be the interesting thing on the other side of this because with Golden State, they got to get Draymond Green back. There's reports that he'll be back on the 14th uh, this month. Moses Moody has recently been starting for, for them. The last week, he had 13 points against Dallas on 5 of 5 shooting, 9 points against the Lakers on 4 of 4, and then against the Nuggets on Monday, he has 30 points. It was an inefficient night, 10 of 23, but still Moses Moody, a guy who hasn't played a lot this season, 30 points for the Warriors. Think about Kaminga. Wiseman, you hope, comes back. Moody's having some great games this past week, 10 points last night, and the Golden State win over the Clippers. What were your impressions of Moody when you saw him on Monday against Denver? Uh, I, I loved what I saw from him. I mean, first of all, those games where, you know, Warriors didn't bring their, their starters, basically. That's an opportunity for those young guys to go out there and do something. And he played hungry. I mean, he played like a guy that was, hey, this is my chance to, to shine. He outworked all of the Nuggets. He was aggressive going to the basket without fear, even against some pretty good defenders like Aaron Gordon. I mean, he just outplayed and outworked Aaron Gordon, and especially in the first half of that game. Um, he shot the three ball and knocked it down. I don't know if, the, if he's going to shoot. I think he was 5 of 12 or something like that. Trailed off a little bit in the second half of that game, started to miss some. But his shot looked good. I just was impressed with him. And the thing that stands out, both with him and Kaminga, I think with prospects, especially high upside prospects like that, those guys, there's such a great culture there. The way that they have developed is the perfect way for a young player with lots of talent. I mean, you could give those guys shots. You can give them ISOs. You can give them high volume things, this or that. Those guys have kind of learned how to fit into a system. And then when all the guys are out, they become the system. And that's what I, that's what I noticed in that Warriors game. I was so impressed with both of those guys. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think Golden State, granted, they've had some whiffs in the draft. Um, I mean, like, you know, we all made mistakes in that draft uh, with LaMelo La Ball and Anthony Edwards um, taking Wiseman over Ball. Like, boy, like LaMelo La La would look fantastic right now in a Golden State uniform, but it is what it is. You make mistakes. They still are signing guys like Juan Toscano Anderson that are rotation regulars. Kaminga is showing so much promise. Uh, uh, like this entire season, he's showing so much promise and in improving in the intangible areas. Like we know he's athletic, he's improving in those intangible areas, making decisions, passing the ball, six assists last night to zero turnovers. It's games like that. And Jordan Poole, not to mention him, like he has been stellar going back to late last season. Golden State's player development has been great, and I noticed before yesterday's game. Basketball legend Jackie Moon was warming up with Clay Thompson. <laughs> Reinforcements on the way. <laughs> Will Farrell shows up dressed as Jackie Moon and, and he's like closing out on Clay Thompson, taking corner threes. I'm watching the clip posted. I'm thinking, hand down, man down. But then, but then he has one play where then he turns around and he runs at Clay Thompson with both arms up in the air and he screams and Clay still hits the shot. Like you can see the life just sucked out of Jackie Moon in that play. <laughs> poor, poor Jackie. Jackie Moon, an ineffective closeout guy. Who would have known? Not not the proper length. <laughs> yeah, I, just, <laughs> I loved it, man. I you know what I found out though during this because I'm all for bringing in these like. First of all, how great is it that Will Ferrell gets to dress up as himself sometimes? Like, it's the best life. I know. He just gets to dress up as one of his characters in real, the real world, just cosplaying himself. <laughs> <I know>. yeah, <laughs> but, we should have this more often. Who 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 are some uh, characters from movies we'd like to see? E e 
even if they're not doing the things that they do in the movie, Man. just trust themselves. I wish I had. Because I was going to say John Wick, but you don't want to see John yeah, Wick yeah, doing yeah, John yeah, Wick's yeah. things necessarily. That's probably not. <laughs> or maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you do. <laughs> I found out though that Grand Rapids, Den- Denver's G League team, Grand Rapids Gold, is actually having a Flint Tropics night where they're going to wear Tropics jerseys. So I'm, oh, wow. I'm all for this synergy. Maybe this becomes the new alt. You find some movie. Uh, you know, jerseys that, and teams can can kind of wear those or something. But I think it's great. The tropics, uh, we need more tropics in the NBA. There's a, a great article this morning on the ringer.com. Is it time to make Batman funny again? Uh, by Miles Surrey on the ringer. Well, I think that also like, like a funny Batman. Like any- <laughs> I love it. We're coming full circle in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Also, in the last night's game, we saw the Cavs in their first game without Jared Allen, uh, Dean Wade, got put in the starting lineup. Cleveland won over Indiana, 127 to 124. Darius Garland, man, continues as he has all season long just to be absolutely stellar at 41 points last night with 13 assists to only four turnovers. Garland's command of the pick and roll, his ability to create off the dribble and manipulate defenders. It, it You know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this watching uh, that this game because with Garland, there's so many. The MVP candidates are all big. You know, there's Giannis, yeah. there's Jokic, there's yeah. Embiid. So many of the great players we just talked about, the Clippers, how they can play, you know, a lineup of five, six, eight, six, nine guys. And then you have little Darius Garland, six one, under 200 pounds. He's just little and squirmy out there and quick and fast, able to get wherever he wants on the floor. Like, I think, you know, I just said with the Clippers, Six eight, six nine guys. It could be the future right. of basketball. And you say, well, that's one of the futures of basketball. Right. The future of basketball still includes smaller guards doing whatever it is that they want on the court. The basketball is a game for everybody still. <laughs> and Garland is evidence. That's what's so cool about the league right now is there are all these different molds, and I think they all have their merits to them, and they all have their shortcomings. But he was so great last night, and he's. I'm surprised there's not. I mean, there is some buzz obviously about him. He's having a fantastic year. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. He is so shifty. He, I think he might be the, the shiftiest, sort of like twitchiest player in the NBA. And you watch him on some of these moves. You almost don't appreciate him because they're so fast. And then you see the slow motion replay and you see that there's like seven different shoulder jerks that he puts in a move. And just <laughs> there's just no way you could keep up with him. He's one of the biggest things in the NBA or one of the most important things in the NBA, especially from the guard position. Even with this, if you're going to switch everything, you're going to have length, this or that. Do you have players that can get through that first line of defense pretty effortlessly and he's one of those guys you've got bigs at the rim you can put pressure rolling to the rim they got plenty of those guys if you space the court properly good luck no matter how tall you are how long you are how quick you are defensively good luck keeping him in front of you and then last night he had the counter going this is kind of the the thing that i think is going to make or break him and it's going to make him because he's so young he's going to keep doing this when he's getting by you three four times in a row so you take that extra half step backwards then he just steps back and drains that three right in your face. And mm-hmm. he was doing that last night. And that's how you get up to those 40-point totals. I mean, he's one of the NBA's most uh, efficient ISO scorers this year. He's a great pick-and-roll playmaker, creator. He, he does it all for your team. And now he's you know paired with their rookie, who very well might win Rookie of the Year, and Evan Mobley. 22 points, 12 rebounds, 5 steals, 3 assists, 1 block. Just another game of many from him this season where he's just filling up the box score, doing literally everything in the court. And some of the shots he hits last night, I know, I know with Mobley, you know, like uh, a lot of the Cade Cunningham supporters are like, well, Mobley can't do that. Or like Jalen Green supporters like, you know, Mobley can't do that. It's yeah. all funny how these games happen. But then last night, Mobley, you know, first half, 
He just just speeds by his defender, has a huge left-hand dunk in the lane. Second half, off the dribble, hits this crazy turnaround jumper going towards his left. Final minute, he has the huge offensive rebound to tie the game. Like Mobley can do everything from everywhere on the court, and it could be only a matter of time in, until we see a lot more of the scoring off the dribble from him like we saw in last night's game. But I, I'm, I continue to be blown away by this entire rookie class, and especially Mobley. He, he's unbelievable. I think we're almost sleeping on him because that stat line you did, we always do points, rebounds, and assists, and then you just kind of stop. Steals and blocks with him, they are, the numbers are smaller, so they almost pop less. But when you're like just casually, oh, yeah, three steals and two blocks. Like, wait, yeah. wait, 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 hold up. What? <laughs> All of those? The guy's, the guy's unbelievable. I have, there are a few players I'm more confident are going to be, um, you know, the guys going forward like I am Mobley. He's going to be a guy in this league for the next 12 years. Yeah, you know, I think that's what makes it so interesting with with that uh, 2021 draft class because you can look at all three of those guys up top and there's a chance that they are multi-time All-Stars for into 10-plus years in the NBA. Jalen Green really has come on a, lo- a lot as of late. I had a thing about him in my article on The Ringer on Monday and Cade Cunningham, these last eight games, averaging 21.4 points, 7.8 rebounds, 5.5 assists. He is in command. The Pistons are winning games. They've won six out of eight, three in a row. Uh, I mean, like for Detroit here, you're kind of blowing your lottery odds a, a little bit if you continue winning. But but ultimately, it's, it's not such a bad thing if you're winning games, if you have uh, a great young player in Cade Cunningham. Um, and he continues to make advancements. And I, I think similarly for Oklahoma City, they lose uh, 142 to 115. But you want to see your gun guys playing well against a team with finals hopes like the Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. And in last night's game, it, first of all, it was a spectacular game again for Giannis. 39 points, another MVP caliber performance. But this is a weird stat. Uh, Shea Gildas Alexander had 33 points, 14 assists, 4 rebounds, and 35 minutes of play. And keep in mind, I just said OKC lost the game 142-115, to 115, so they lost by 27 points. In those 35 minutes with Gildas Alexander, the Thunder were a plus 4. <laughs> OKC lost by 31 points in the, uh, wow. in, in the, in the little bit of time that SGA wasn't on the floor. Like, what the hell? How is this possible? That's the perfect tank right there. You you win yeah. the you win the like important minutes if you're talking about exactly. what you want to see. And you you so horrendously lose those other minutes. Um, we just talked about Garland. Uh, John Moran obviously can't keep him out of the paint. Shea's in that group too. You can't keep him out of the paint. Like it takes a whole team effort to to keep him out of driving to the basket and getting to where he wants to be. Fourteen assists is as impressive as the thirty points. That's a lot of points to generate for that Thunder team in, in thirty three minutes or whatever you say. I mean that's several points per minute you're generating while you're on the court. It's insane. Yeah, he he um he's a great player. I mean Gildas Alexander, I think is the type of guy that. If Giddy is able to make significant progress, granted he's not playing right now as a scorer, if Poku, who's low-key pretty good the last couple of weeks, have you seen any Poku? I mean, what are your, what are your Poku thoughts, Adam? Man, I don't have, I'm kind of like, uh, and it's not fair, but I'm kind of jaded by the Bull Bull experiment here in Denver. Oh, where yeah. like, there's the like flashy novelty, this is really <laughs> interesting, versus the like, is it really making an impact? But he's so, I mean, not to compare him to Bull Bull, he's significantly better. He's just so skilled. The stuff he does pops, but I'm still extremely skeptical. What is the case for Giannis to win MVP? Man, that's a great question. I, he's, I mean, the numbers have been fantastic. His team has been fantastic. They're so reliant on him. 
I, I did this thing a couple weeks back and it's a little bit stale, but I was looking at how does your team do when you don't win your minutes? Meaning how much are guys, you know, getting the benefit of their team just kind of helping them out? Giannis, I think, was right up there with Jokic in terms of if he doesn't win the minutes when he's on the court, that team doesn't win. A lot of that has to do with they have a great starting lineup, so it's not just him, it's all of their starters. But the thing I looked up that was interesting from this year to last year, he's taken the fewest number of shots at the rim, and he's taken the most number of shots from the floater zone. I'm using basketball reference here, zero to three feet, then three to ten feet. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's losing some. I don't know if that's missing Lopez, and there's just a little bit less spacing, so he's getting a little bit less there. His dunk percentage of shots that are dunks are down since what they were his rookie and sophomore years. So he's actually getting tougher shots. But guess what? His efficiency is the same. So (laughs) somehow he's just gotten better at slightly tough shots. And if they do find a way to get him to the rim just a little bit more, you know, maybe that maybe his efficiency will be even even further off the chain. But last night I see him taking threes, stepping into threes comfortably, stepping into mid-rangers comfortably. He's just so willing to do the things that could get him criticized very heavily. And to me, I mean, that's a big part of his case. I think that's a great way to put it. He he's willing to do the things that he can get criticized for. He he doesn't shy away from, you know, having an 0 for 7 night from 3 cuz he knows he'll have some 4 for 4 nights and I I I would imagine for Giannis the way the way we've seen him talk about his game, the the mirror the great mirror and fader book about Giannis, New York Times bestseller last year. Like with Giannis, this is somebody who's going to turn over every rock, figure out everything that he can do to become the best player that he can possibly be. And I and I bet for him, he probably has some internal frustration about like I'm doing all the right things, and yet I have a one for seven night, and I can also have these four for five nights. Like he he just hasn't been able to have any consistency as a shooter, whether it's from uh, the perimeter with jump shots, pull ups. Or whether it's from the free throw line, like he's you know nine of thirteen last night. He'll have some games well below fifty percent. He'll have a couple of weeks ago. He had a stretch, I think, of you know I think twenty eight of thirty straight made free throws. I mean, it's a ridiculous percentage. So, but Giannis, he, again, he's become a do it all player. And after this break, we're going to talk about another one of those do it all players, and Nikola Jokic. Today's episode of the Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Nikola Jokic is the clear MVP with one month to go. Then it's Giannis and Embiid. They're neck and neck. And then there's everybody else. There's a lot of guys in the MVP discussion because we are spoiled by the amount of talent right now in the NBA. This postseason, Jokic will have a chance to prove he's the best of them all. It's still the regular season, though, and the best player in the world status is earned in the NBA Finals. So Giannis, the two-time MVP title winner, and finals MVP has a leg up on everybody. But we're at a transitional point in the NBA cycle, and there's no obvious best player. The last time it was like this was the debate about LeBron James versus Kobe Bryant in the late 2000s. Eventually, it was obviously LeBron, but now it's not obvious. LeBron is still one of the best, and he can be the best on any particular night. We just saw him score 56 points in the Warriors last weekend 
but he's not the clear number one guy anymore. Jokic is one of the few guys who has a chance to steal that status. Here's what Adam said about the value of ranking the league's best players right now. The NBA doesn't have a best player. This is my, this is my hot take here, Kevin. The NBA does not have a best player right now. And I actually think through most of its history, it has not had a best player. Michael Jordan was the best player you know, for a long time. LeBron James was the best player for a long time. Right now, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, you got all these great players, and they're all within a margin of error of each other in terms of how you build a roster. Like We saw the Nick Wright tweet a while back that said Jokic is the sixth best player, and everybody got up in arms. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he is the sixth best player. But the difference between <laughs> one and six is so close that we shouldn't be talking about these guys in terms of one, two, three, four, five, six. It's the basketball has a lot of good players. And for most of its history, it's been that way. We're just stuck in the Michael Jordan way of looking at the league. With no Jamal Murray all season long and no Michael Porter Jr. since early on in the season, the fact that the Nuggets currently hold a guaranteed playoff spot in the West is remarkable. Denver outscores teams by 9.4 points per 100 possessions when Jokic is on the floor compared to being outscored by 7.2 when he's not. That differential of 16.6 is greater than Giannis's differential at 12 and Embiid's at 11.3. All three of these guys are monsters, but Jokic leads in that. The thing is, is he wasn't as much of a fixture in this best player debate last season. Even though he won MVP after one of the greatest offensive campaigns in history, it's just that he's better now. All this talk is happening because he surpassed his brilliance. He's continuing to score at will from the post. If he gets double teamed, he can still spin into open space to score. And he's always locating teammates with passes. He's carrying the offensive load while making significant progress again on defense, as Adam explained. I think, number one, his conditioning. I think he's, it's the most underrated part about, about his game. He's one of the most conditioned. In fact, Chauncey Billups said this before the Nuggets-Portland game the other day, that he thinks Jokic is a top five best conditioned athlete in the NBA. I strongly agree with him. The guy, he doesn't look great, but he just doesn't get tired. He plays Isn't really that wild that we're at that point. <laughs> it's so wild. It's so I mean, he's a it's underrated how mentally tough he is, I think. Just, you know, that 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 aspect of it. There's a reason he doesn't like to skip games, is because for him, he's all about this like, you know, I, I want to be mentally strong for for these challenges. And you watch him even in fourth quarters, and I would say even especially in fourth quarters, the defense picks up, he starts to get more aggressive. His mobility has improved a little bit, although I think that could be overstated. But it's just his conditioning and his ability now to play both ends of the court, if not for 48 minutes, for pretty close to 48 minutes uh, and ramp it up as the game goes on. You think, you mentioned Jokic doesn't like to take the games off, likes to just keep going. That's like me. If I take one day off from working out or one day off... (laughs) Right. It's true, man. Healthy. You know, I'm done. It's over. I think Jokic, <laughs> he, he takes a game off. He starts playing. He's got these, like, I'm not joking about this, these horse trading video games on his phone. So you, t- you take a day <laughs> off and you start playing that game a little bit. You start to miss home. You miss the horse track. And then, yeah, yeah it's, it's like you start from, from zero again. While eating tacos, I found some stats to explain Jokic's progress on defense. Five regular seasons ago, Jokic ranked 43rd of the 49 players with over 1,000 pick and rolls defended and points allowed per play. That's according to Second Spectrum. Jokic was in the company of old Dirk Nowitzki, Thon Maker, and Ennis Canner Freedom, and that's not the names you want to be around. But every single season since, he's gotten better and better and better. And now in 2022, he's allowing only 0.93 points per pick and roll as the big man defending the screen. 
That's the best of his career. And for the 21-22 season, Jokic ranked sixth in points allowed of the 26 bigs to defend over 1,000 pick and rolls. Sixth! Jokic has gone from the bottom of the league to the top. Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid are on their own, but Jokic is not far behind in the class of DeAndre Ayton and Jared Allen. And look at Mo Pamba, 12th best, above average and trending up. I love it. Jokic gets stops, but he doesn't block many shots. He logs only 0.8 blocks per game. That's lower than Kyle Kuzma and Patrick Beverly. But blocks aren't indicative of defensive ability. Ayton also averages 0.8. So does Steven Adams. All three of those bigs defend dramatically differently for their playoff teams. Jokic has made blocks when he needs to. He has 43 total blocks in the season, and three of them have been game-winning blocks at the buzzer. Jokic is normally just an elite positional defender who's always where he's supposed to be, but sometimes he can't pick up blocks. He's always felt in control on offense, and now he's just operating with the same level of precision with his footwork, pivoting different directions to keep in front of attackers, whether it's as a pick-and-roll defender or whether he's on an island defending outside of the paint. Obviously, Jokic isn't the NBA's best defender, and as Adam said, he does have his limitations with mobility, so players can occasionally blow by him on drives to the basket, but Jokic isn't getting roasted like he once did. Five years ago, you would talk about you have a rim protector, and that's what matters. It elevates. You put a guy at the rim, and then everybody else's job is made easier. That's still true today, but I think what we're seeing is, especially with these new rules that are allowing for a little bit more contact out on the perimeter is that if you have elite pick-and-roll guards with length and the ability to get through screens, all of a sudden, lesser defenders like Avusevic, Jokic in particular, who has some of the best defensive hands in the NBA, if you could just take away that downhill running guard, if you could just take that away, then he actually can defend really well. The way I describe Jokic is he is great at like 97% of basketball. He's really bad at that 3% where if you're running downhill at him and it's like a two-on-one, He can't jump to protect the lob, and he's not really quick enough to slide his feet out on the perimeter. So the key is, can you put pieces around that make it so he's not in that zone? And I think what we're seeing is more and more teams are figuring out how to do that. You mentioned the Chicago Bulls. Their guards are rim protectors because they keep the ball away from the rim. The Bulls have fallen apart with all their best wing defenders. Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball have been out a lot of the time, and that's put too much pressure on Nikola Vucevic. Denver wouldn't be the same without Aaron Gordon, for sure. He's an important partner for Jokic because he usually defends the best perimeter scorer and Jokic defends the best interior guy. The variety of styles around the league, though, is nuts right now. There are big, long teams like the Cavs. Rudy Gobert drops better than anyone doing it the traditional way for the Jazz. The Celtics are doing really cool things with Robert Williams away from the ball, letting him roam and stay near the rim. Some teams blitz a lot, like the Bucks, because they have Giannis. What the best teams are doing is creating a scheme to maximize their personnel. That's why there's so much variety right now. On defense, the Nuggets found a way to build around Jokic, and on offense, he's allowing them to innovate. What Jokic has provided me is he's unlocked a way of playing basketball that I had never thought of, that I had never seen, and I thought, oh, I thought basketball was this fixed thing, and this is how you do it, and you do this, and there's a little bit of wiggle room positionally, but, but generally speaking, this is how it is. Jokic has taken it and completely reinvented the way I think of the game. And I think, wow, in the same way Steph Curry has. Steph Curry started shooting all these deep threes and, you know, having a quick trigger. And you think, wow, look at how this, the ripple effects of of that and how all of a sudden now the league evolves. Jokic to me has done the same thing. I think Giannis is doing very similar things. Embiid is more of a traditional center, dominant, but, but, you know, maybe a little bit more of that traditional route. To me, that's the story the league should be telling is, hey, 
we always thought the game was played this way and there's been little changes on the margins. But right now we're seeing the game being a whole new avenues of the game of basketball being discovered. And let's explore all the implications of that. What does it mean if you have a point center? How does that change what the different ripple effects and how you can win at the NBA level? And to me, that's what's so interesting. Jokic being a point center allows Denver to do everything on the court. But he became this. He improved as a shooter. He improved as a defender. He got in shape. He was drafted 41st out of Serbia. 41st! Jokic is 27 years old now, having the best season of his life because he's always adding more to his game year after year. And that's what I asked Adam about. What's the latest thing that Jokic has added? Every year he adds little pieces to his game. And the thing over the last two years, so he added this last year, but he's gotten better at it this year, is his um, attacking closeout game. You know, his three-point shot now, people are biting on that. They're worried about it. And he's just gotten really, and it's funny to say, really quick with his first step so that he can get his defender <laughs> on his hip. And then he's just so good at slowing him down. Once he gets on the hip, he just keeps him there, kind of leans on him all the way to the basket and then powers it up. So his first step off the dribble is one of those things that has unlocked his game. And Denver will go to it. If he's if they're clogging the paint against him and sending extra defenders, Denver will actually get him, get him on the move, set him screens from the wing so he's cutting into the basket, catching it on the move, and then making, making you know one dribble moves towards the basket. So... That part's unlocked a new aspect of his offense. I feel like his offense, his scoring specifically, is a bit underrated, at least nationally. I mean, everybody, like the playmaking, all the passes, like the whip over the head he had the other night, the passes go viral from Jokic, which is unusual because like most other players, it's not the passes that go viral. But with Jokic, it is. It's just his scoring doesn't. Like it, sometimes it's slow. It doesn't look like it's a t- typical highlight. He's not dunking over people, but he is one of the league's most efficient isolation scorers. He is the league's best post playmaker plus scorer. You can argue Embiid's a better scorer, but not a better scorer and playmaker like Jokic. He can attack closeouts, like you said. He can run off screens. He can run pick and roll for you with a small guard screening for him. Jokic, like there's, there's no... There's no answer for Jokic when he has the ball in his hands. There's no answer. He's, I mean, he's the, the league's 13th best scorer right now in a point per game, uh, you know, just looking at point per game, but he's the most efficient of all those guys by a, yes. a pretty wide margin. So, exactly. Um, the high volume guys, he's on another level in terms of efficiency. A whole other level. And I think what happens here, why his scoring doesn't get talked about, because I honestly think he's one of the best scorers in the NBA, why it doesn't get talked about. The same way nobody really replicated Kareem's skyhook. It just never caught on that everybody was trying it. Jokic <laughs> scores yeah. these weird little like one-handed scoop shots and just things that no <laughs> players go into the gym to work on. And I just think that's part of it is you're not, it's not the DeRozan fall away where you're like, man, that's a pretty shot. I've tried. It's hard. Jokic does things you've never tried before and you never will try. Because he improvises in the moment. Like I remember I interviewed Jokic, I don't know, four years ago, something like that, whenever it was in Denver. And I asked him, like, have you practiced like your accuracy as a passer? Is that something like you practice? He's like, no, I just look and I the ball goes where I want it to. Like he's he's almost kind of amazed at his own ability. And and I'm sure it's similar for him with those types of weird scoop shots you're talking about. He just sees the rim and it goes where he wants it to go (laughs) supreme body control you you saw that video with steph curry the other day that incredible video where he makes like 20 30 shots in a row oh yeah the warm-ups right (laughs) he shoots the 20 foot floater goes way up in the air and goes in like again i'm not sure it was magic 
Yeah, he just has the he just sees the rim and is like, this is how much I need to put on the shot and it'll go in. I think Yoke's the same way. He just it, it, like you said, he hasn't practiced these moves or this touch. He just has the body control to know exactly what to do uh, to make the ball go where it wants. Jokic reminds me of a self-taught guitarist. The technique may not always be technically perfect, but it can be perfect for this particular person. Jimi Hendrix wrapped his thumb over the neck. Jokic does improv dance on the post, and it works, even if it's different from everybody else. Nine players have posted up 250 times this season. The Nuggets scored 1.11 points per post up by Jokic. That's first by a wide margin, with Embiid second at 1.05. Now, I know Sixers fans are going to say, how about Strictly as a scorer? But even if you remove the plays when they pass the ball from the post and only look at the post-ups when they try to score, Jokic still scores with greater efficiency than Embiid. Both of them are elite. That's why they're in the MVP conversations together. Adam is right, though, that Embiid is more of the traditional type. He studied Hakeem. He took from Dirk. He absorbed so much from bigs across errors. So in a way, Jokic and Embiid are very much similar in that sense. But Jokic is like his own genre. And here's an interesting thing I actually think about a lot with Jokic. This last, you know, 12 months have been tragic for the Nuggets, losing Jamal Murray the way they have. If there's one really overarching, super positive thing that comes out of it is Jokic has been forced so far outside of his comfort zone. And things like this, I suspect next year when Jamal Murray's back, that number's going to go down. Out of sheer necessity, you just don't need him running off of screens like this. Denver did that out of necessity because teams were clogging the paint and doing this or that. But what I think is nice is Jokic has added so many parts to his game and the team now is confident in all these different parts of his game that will be in the back pocket for years to come now of, hey, we can do all these different things. We don't have to, but we can do all these different things if we need them in a playoff series or, or what have you. You know, a funny thing I did one time, I put out who has a better career highlight mixtape, Carmelo Anthony or Nikola Jokic. And the result of this poll had something like 15,000 votes. And, the, and it was 50% to 50%. Really? And the uh-huh. quote tweets and replies to this all said, this is the dumbest poll I've ever seen. It's obviously Wayne. <laughs> it's obviously yeah. Jokic. It's obviously Miller. <laughs> and I just thought like, hey man, people like such different things. Those two have like no crossover, right? And skill set. People like different things. And I think that's the part that's so cool about basketball. It doesn't have to be one way. It can be a lot of different ways. You're 100% right. I mean, I, I think with Jokic, the fascinating thing with him is, can it be replicated? Can players play in his mold? I don't think anybody has his, you know, pinpoint bullseye vision. But what is it that maybe other teams can learn from the way in which the Nuggets do construct their team around him uh, that could be implemented elsewhere, even if they don't have that supreme, godly level of passing ability that he has? I think it's a lot like with Steph Curry in that, I don't know if there will ever be another Steph Curry, but there are a lot of B versions of Steph Curry. I mean, Damian Lillard's a great player. This is no insult to say he's totally. the B version of Steph Curry. And you've got other guys that are maybe the B or C version. And I think in years to come, we might even have an A minus version of Steph Curry. Maybe we'll have another Steph Curry. I don't know. I, I never want to close the door on that. But I think teams learn that, hey, there is value to having a quick trigger. First of all, do you remember seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, off the dribble threes were like thought of as like, hey, don't take the, you take one of those, okay, but let's not take too many off the dribble. Now everybody understands not just that it can be a weapon, but when and how to deploy that to make it a, a weapon. I think similar things are true of Jokic that we probably won't see another Jokic, but we will see a B version. In fact, I think we already have one in Sacramento in DeMontis Sabonis, who's a fantastic player who, who is 
does a lot of the same things Jokic does, just maybe at a little bit lesser scale, especially some of the scoring and, and some of the touch. So I think we'll see an, an evolution of bigs who are maybe not in the Jokic mold, but who are thought of, of they don't have to just be a rim roller, rim protector. If this guy can dribble a little bit, how do we use that to our advantage? If this guy can shoot the floater zone shot, how do we use that to our advantage? And now all of a sudden you start to get a little bit more creative. Guys that make it to the NBA by and large have some elite talents. And rather than look and say they don't have the right talents, you look at it and say, how do we use these talents to our advantage? Another B or C or D version of Yogesh to think about in the NBA is Alperen Shengun with Houston. Shengun can really pass the ball. That dude on the post has so many great moves. His footwork is so smooth. The, I, I love Shengun. He's another guy built in that boat. Then you have in the 2022 draft, you have Chet Holmgren, seven footer out of Gonzaga. He can hit threes, protect the rim at a high level. And in, I mean, in high school, he showed way more as a playmaker, bringing the ball up the floor, initiating half court sets than he has playing at Gonzaga, playing next to Timmy. He gets a lot of touches there, but I look forward to seeing how he develops in the NBA. And then you get Victor Wembenyama. I look forward to seeing how guys like him come in, in the 2023 draft. There that guy I'm very intrigued by. Talented bigs. Paulo Bancaro, for that matter, Adam. Like, yeah. I don't know how much you've watched him at Duke, but Bancaro can pass, dude. At right. 6'10", 6'11". There's a lot of talented bigs coming into the league right now where all of them... I, mean, I talked to uh, Daron Sharp with the Nets before this season for a story I did on Brooklyn, and I asked him like, who are the bigs he watches, and he said Jokic first. I love it. So it. that's a, a, a rookie with a totally different game than Jokic who says Jokic is the big he watched most. So you're going to have a lot of guys coming into the league that are doing that. I think two things are becoming huge market. Uh, like This is how you can really add value as a prospect coming into the league. Great basketball IQ and a well-rounded skill set. Not necessarily an elite one. One of the guys I'm thinking about here as I talk about this, Kenrich Williams, not a great finisher, not a great shooter, not a great ball handler. But he really sees the game well. He understands like how things move. And you get the ball moving. If you have guys that can collapse the defense and you have guys that can knock down shots and space the floor, having those connector pieces is so big. And I think even for bigs, for centers, you don't have to be a Jokic. But if you just can read the court at a good level so you can fit alongside whatever your team's Jokic is, whether it's a wing or guard or what have you, to me, that's becoming the most valuable commodity in the NBA is those connector pieces. The Nuggets built this roster to have all connector pieces around Jokic. You get Monte Morris, high IQ, playmaking guard. He can shoot up the catch. He's actually the guy that hit that game-winning three off of the Jokic game-winning assist a couple weeks back. Will Barton, veteran who brings the spark. Aaron Gordon brings defense. He has a great feel for passing. Him and Jokic just have that type of two-man connection with their exchanges back and forth that just rubs off on the whole team. And with Jokic, he's had guys like that all through his years playing in the NBA, whether it's been Jamal Murray or Gary Harris or Michael Porter Jr., now Bryn Forbes. The Nuggets, for years now, have been getting guys that they insert into dribble handoff, pick-and-roll, two-man actions with Jokic because the goal is to surround Jokic with players who complement him because he always finds a way to make those guys better. But without Jokic, though, that Denver defense has had a lot of struggles this season, at least early on. The thing I don't think people realize about the Denver Nuggets is that the, the bench for the first two-thirds of the season to date have been, were so atrocious, like laughably so bad. bad. Awful. Awful. I, Denver, I, th I had this stat. 
the Nuggets just won, not this last game, but the previous one, the second time they played the Kings where Jokic was, was in the negative, meaning the Nuggets lost the minutes Jokic was on the court. It was only the second time this season the Nuggets had won a game. And I think he was like a minus one. Wow. And it was only the second time all season they had won a game where he was in the negative. Um, so, and, and not just that, if you look how at how many it, did they lose? Like, like, what are they like? They, they were they, two and 12. So Jokic is actually not in the negative very often. Very, I mean, that's a low rare. number. Like, yeah, exactly. Like that's not many games. He's even a minus. Cause he's like, what a, a plus 10, a plus 10 net rating, something like that. Uh, when he's on the floor of the season. And I think that you could actually go through on basketball reference and sort, you know, his, his plus minus, just how did the nuggets do when he was on the court? And if he was a plus one to plus nine, the Nuggets were about 500. If he was a plus 10 or above, <laughs> that's where they won. And that was really what he had to dominate the minutes he was on the court in order for the yeah. Nuggets to have a, a, a shot early on. But what DeMarcus Cousins has done, they've had a soft schedule with him in the lineup. They have a couple good wins, but a lot of these have been against the Kings or against the, the Rockets and, and teams like that. But what he's done is he's made those bench minutes. He draws a lot of fouls. He, he creates a paint presence. He's been a fantastic playmaker. And that bench has either won their minutes or lost them by a very small margin. And as a result, Denver has been rolling since they've gotten him. Uh, and I honestly, that's the part I think is real, is you just have to have a bench that's not a disaster. Exactly. You watch Boogie and you see him handling the ball at the elbows as guys run through him for handoffs or cut to the rim. He can pass or drive. It, that is so much more like what Jokic does with the starters. So if you get that out of Boogie for five, 10, 15 minutes per game in the playoffs, that's going to really help that bench survive those non-Jokic minutes. But, you know, Michael Porter Jr., him getting back, that's one of the big keys. He was cleared to practice with teammates. So his return is looming here. But what would help the most is the return of Jamal Murray, who's still sidelined after ongoing surgery on his torn ACL back in last April. He was dunking in October, according to reports, but they're definitely playing a cautious with him. Uh, Adam, can we expect Murray to report before the playoffs? The reports have been a little bit more ambiguous and I think a little bit, if you read between the lines, I'm not sure I expect him back, you know, this month, meaning maybe he returns right at the playoffs or slightly right before it sometime in April, or maybe it's even beyond that. Um, he has not been cleared by all reports to start doing five on five contact workouts. And so coming off of, you know, a, a pretty major ACL injury, there's a pretty long ramp up period for that. And if he's not doing contact yet, you start to look at it as he at minimum three, four weeks out, five weeks out. I'm a little bit more bearish, I guess, on Jamal Murray's prospects returning and making an impact, but I do think Michael Porter is around the corner. Are we running out of a, a runway here for Murray and even Porter Jr. To, to get back into, you know, 80% of what they were before ahead of the playoffs? Well, so this is what's interesting is Michael Porter, in a lot of ways, is a less disruptive player than Jamal Murray. Because he is a spot-up shooter first and foremost, and he has other talents, but in his young career so far, even Denver has been slow to unroll some of his isolation game or post-up game. He's mostly been a spot-up guy running off, you know, grabbing rebounds, being a cutter. And I think in that way, if you're replacing a Jeff Green in the starting lineup or even coming off of the bench and, and you know, replacing a Jamichael Green or somebody like that, it's not that disruptive to what the team's doing. You just plug in a better shooter and a better cutter in that spot. With Jamal Murray, I do think we're probably running out of runway because as we've seen with guys like Zach Levine uh, in the past, coming back in the last month of the season, you know, it takes a month just to get your legs. Even if you look at Clay Thompson, there was a ramp up period for him, not just to be playing more minutes, 
But before he really started to make consistent shots and be able to defend at the high level and this or that, and with Denver, Jamal Murray is going to have the ball in his hands as much as anyone not named Jokic, you would assume. Uh, so he would be a very disruptive player if he were to return. And yes, the runway is getting very, very short for the Nuggets to figure that out. This is the way I think about it, Adam. So Porter Jr., 100% right. Like with his style of play, he's not the type of guy who has to come in and handle the ball all the time and disrupt everything that they're doing. He can be a spot-up shooter, a cutter, a slasher. He can get his occasional pick-and-roll reps. Uh, and if there's games where he's like absolutely on fire, that's when you can ride him for 20, 25, 30-plus points. With Jamal Murray, even the way I look at it is even with a short ramp up, I think Murray's the type of player. He doesn't need to be disruptive. I, I think Murray can come back and he can play a minimized role where maybe he doesn't need to change everything the Nuggets are doing and he can be a lesser version of what he was in the past or maybe he is taking more spot-up threes. Maybe he is doing more off the catch, less on ball like, like we've seen him in the, in the past. And this Denver team right now, they have the ability to accommodate a guy like that. Either way, if Michael Porter's back, he's a more reliable and consistent shooter there. And then he probably staggers some minutes with the starters. Denver has been, in the Jokic era, a top three offensive rebounding team in the NBA every single season. This year, I think they're somewhere around 17. Uh, and those numbers have gone up since DeMarcus Cousins has arrived. But I think a lot of that is that Denver hasn't had pressure from the corners, meaning guys that are like, hey, teams can't leave this guy or that guy open. There's been Austin Rivers there you know, Will Barton, guys that can knock it down, but not guys that make teams say, hey, don't help off of this guy. And as a result, you pack the pain a little bit more and you're not getting those secondary uh, shooting opportunities. I think Michael Porter is a guy that alleviates that. You can't leave him open in the corner. And that's going to allow Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic to use their size advantage and to stretch the defense thin and put, get a lot of those second chance points. To your point, Adam, the Nuggets can get way better this season. I, I genuinely believe that whether it's from the return of Porter Jr. and Murray or as you said, how the game can change for them with guys like that back on the floor. Uh, this this Denver team, to me, they're right now sixth in the Western Conference. According to the FanDuel Sportsbook, they have the ninth highest uh, NBA Finals odds. To me, I think that is fair and accurate. Uh, I would bump them up ahead of the Utah Jazz in terms of who has the best chance of winning the Finals uh, if they do get Murray and Porter back. But like this this team is a, a final sleeper. The thing is, is nobody's watching in Denver. Uh, Harrison Wind had a tweet last week citing the Sports Business Journal statistics about TV ratings. And Denver with Altitude Sports was last with a .19 rating. Like just in comparison, the Warriors had a 7.6. The Spurs have a 2.29. The Blazers a 2.28. The Nuggets are just not being seen in the Denver area. And as Harrison said in his tweet, the glory years of Nuggets basketball led by the best player in franchise history continue to go unwatched. Adam, can you explain what the deal is with Altitude Sports and why Denver Nuggets fans are having a hard time watching games? Altitude Sports is owned by the Cronkies, and it's the only RSN that is a one-off, meaning that's not part of Bally's or NBC or whatever, like all these other ones. So it's not a bundle. And I think that what's happening, Comcast has pulled uh, they're no longer carrying altitude sports. They're saying, hey, it's not, mm. you know, these RSNs don't bring in money, not just altitude, but all across the, the nation. They're not worth sort of what they've been paying to carry. And so there was this big lockout, this big dispute that is now going on its third year with Denver, where locals, if you have Comcast, which I think somewhere around two thirds of everybody in the Denver metro area has Comcast as their provider. And by the way, if you don't get Comcast as your cable provider, you still have to have them as your internet provider. So it, it's, 
a lot of people would say, well, just go to another cable provider. Then you end up paying double because you have to get internet from one and cable from the other. So it's really difficult in Denver. You have to really be committed financially to watching the Nuggets in Denver. And sadly, that's why we have this golden era. By the way, it's not just for Denver Nuggets basketball. I think Jokic is going to go down on the Mount Rushmore of Denver sports athletes. One of the four, but you talk about John Elway, you talk about maybe a Terrell Davis or a Joe Sackick, Patrick Wallach. Denver's had all these across sports, some great Hall of Fame athletes. I think Jokic will be a top five, top four one when it's all said and done. And we're in his prime, and the city of Denver has largely missed the last three seasons. It's it's a crime. It's inexcusable, really. I mean, like the NBA, I'm not sure how much power they have with the RSNs. Like that's just the way it is right now. It's not like the NFL where they have CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, right? Like where you have these. There's only four stations or NFL Network as well, where every game is being played on. For the NBA, like. I don't know what the next TV contract is going to look like or the one after that's going to look like, but with all the talk about Amazon and streaming, like how can the NBA allow Nikola Jokic to not be seen easily by the, by the fans of the team that he plays for? It just, it just seems like something that shouldn't be happen, happening in a multi-billion dollar business. And, and I just can't help but think in the context of Jokic, what, what can the NBA do to assure that every eyeball that wants to be on a Nuggets game is watching that Nuggets game. It doesn't need him to go to some sketchy, you know, illegal streaming right, site right. or someone who, who's not technologically savvy and knows how to click the X's might ruin their whole computer and put them <laughs> back financially. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like it's just like you shouldn't have to have people do that to watch a freaking basketball game. As much as people are legally streaming it, though, it still creates a barrier of entry. Like, there's still people... Not everybody is, is even going to attempt this illegal streaming thing. Exactly. And you They're going to not bother. That's what's going to happen. Most no bother, people are just yeah. not going to bother. And I think you mentioned like this is a Comcast problem, this is an altitude problem, but I do think it's an NBA problem. And the NBA over the last 15 years has had moments where they've seen around the corner and been ahead of the curve and been creative. I think this is an area where they've dropped the ball and you're starting to see it in Dallas. You've even seen it in New York where the NBA does need to rethink the model of of how they distribute their product locally. And and it's going to only increase as a problem, I think, that I hope the NBA has at least been thinking about and planning for. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So Russell Wilson trade, you mentioned that at the top, Adam. He was traded to the Denver Broncos. Congratulations. You seem very excited. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. They they traded Drew Locke, Noah Font, uh, Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, including nine overall in this year's draft with two seconds and a 2022 fifth-round pick from Russell Wilson. 
and a 2022 fourth. He had to get that fourth round pick in there, uh, or else the deal's a no go. But no go. <laughs> he might, Russell Wilson, congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's the thing: I was I was actually listening to Simmons's pod earlier, and he made the perfect comment here about it. Sometimes when you're when you've been down, and the Broncos have not just been bad since the Super Bowl. I mean, they win the Super Bowl immediately, become bad. But they've been so boring. They've been so boring. You're talking about like games with five first downs. You're talking about games with five completed passes the entire game. So sometimes you go, you, you're always thinking we want to win, we want to win, we want to win. Sometimes you just want to have a chance and you want to be entertaining. And finally, the, the Broncos have a quarterback that is a deep, uh, you know, a deep ball threat, which is just something they haven't had. They got a new coach that wants to throw the deep ball. And by the way, you have a great receiving core, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. You got some guys that are going to be going deep. So I'm so excited. I don't, are they going to win the Super Bowl? I have no idea. I'll let the football analysts talk about that. All I can tell you is that Every Sunday I have dreaded because I have to spend three hours with the Broncos and they're boring and I would rather be doing anything else. And now I can't wait for football Sunday. I mean, you, you the past, since Peyton Manning, you've watched your leading passers, Trevor Simeon, Ace Keenum, <laughs> Joe Flacco, <laughs> Drew Locke, and Teddy yep. Bridgewater. And yeah. now you're going to a guy that has won a Super Bowl. Uh, he is going to be a future Hall of Famer and he's, quote-unquote, only 33 years old, still right, in the, right. the prime of his career. This isn't like when the Broncos actually got Peyton Manning, is it? Because right. Bron- like Manning wasn't the same guy the year they won the Super Bowl. Broncos had a dominant defense. Last season, the Broncos are 20th in DVOA for defense. And when you mentioned that offense with the Broncos and all the weapons that Russell Wilson is going to have, is Wilson in this loaded AFC West? You know, you get <laughs> Mahomes now, yeah. Herbert, Carr. Is Wilson here to carry? Like, because is that is does that make it so much different than those Manning years? I mean, I don't think it's going to be like man. I mean, the first two, two, three seasons with Manning. I mean, he was they had some great players, they had great defense, they had different things, but he was the offense man. I mean, every he just did everything. I don't think it's going to be like that. I will say, I think this Broncos team that has some great young players really lacks leadership. So I'm hopeful he he brings that. But just the deep ball threat, like can can Denver keep stay in games? Can they have a decent offense? But then they just have that big game offense that terrifies everybody. That's the thing I'm hopeful for. And I kind of think he's going to bring it. By the way, another angle to all of this. I don't know if you've seen this. This might be a Denver thing. Maybe you're seeing it. Von Miller goes in the pandering Hall of Fame. He is an A-plus pander. He has been on Instagram and Twitter all week just mm, missing Denver. Mm, 5280 in my mind. like Just constantly teasing that he wants to come back. Last week, mm, running it back sounds nice here in L.A. Like He's just pandering to everybody. <laughs> He's, just, he's gonna all, over the next couple of weeks. He's just gonna mention every single football team. Like, hmm, Tampa Bay. Maybe I go there. Von Miller, build build him that leverage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get get, get her respected, really. You know? I, I I respect the hell out of it. Would you welcome him back? Oh my god, are you kidding me? He's one of the most beloved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's awesome. He's the best personality. He's such a personality. And then, I mean, he is a Bronco. Like he went out there. We're, we're all happy for him. You know, he went out there in L.A. But he's a Bronco, so yeah, I would love to have him back. Yeah, you you guys would have uh, plenty of coverage of, of that uh, that return on For DNVR sure. uh, if that were to happen. So DNVR, you got you guys do more than just like pods. It's also articles, videos too. Oh, we have that. written content for yeah. It's like a hybrid model of subscription and free content. That's we do cool. pregame shows, we do postgame shows, we do merch. We have a bar. Uh, our we have studios. A bar. We have our, our our podcast studios are inside of our DNVR bar, which is the best sports bar in all of Denver. Um, so yeah, we have all kinds of different stuff going on. We do tailgates, we do party buses. Oh. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole thing. It's media, it's community, 
it's apparel, it's all of that stuff wrapped up in one hyper local. I mean, first of all, like, I, I always wish the ringer had a bar. Like, <laughs> <laughs> ringer bar would be great. Uh, a, a, ringer, a ringer bar would be amazing. I, I would love to have a place like that in LA or some other city to pass through. And you guys, I mean, you can, like speaking of, you guys just, I think I saw um, you guys expanded to Chicago last week, right? That's right. That's so cool. We, That's we nice. went into Phoenix and started PHNX last, uh, last October. And then just last Friday, we launched CHDO in one of the best cities in all of America, Chicago. I absolutely love that city. I love the people. I love the food. Uh, I love Does Chicago get a bar too, Adam? Do they get a Ch- bar? Chicago's going to have a bar. I yeah. Mean, it'll, probably be, it'll, probably be, it'll probably be 10 months. With pizza? Months you get a deep dish there too? Oh, you know we're going to have some uh, deep dish. You know we're going to have some deep dish, some hot dogs, some, all that stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's great, man. Chicago has a fantastic staff out there. I'm so excited. We got some big name people in Chicago and, uh, the studio out there is, is, is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I was fired up going out there and meeting all those people and seeing the content they're coming up with the creative people out there. I'm just, I'm so excited for them. So, so Adam, you, you, how many, how many hats do you wear? You're a Nuggets <laughs> podcaster, right? Uh, you get yeah. this, the VP title of DNVR here. I mean, yeah. like, like, w- w- what's a day in the life of Adam like? It's a lot of hours. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a big one. But yeah, obviously, I lead the Nuggets coverage, and uh, I leave all the creative um, content creation uh, over what we call the All City Network. So these are that's the parent company now of DNVR, PHNX, and CHGO, and and expanding very rapidly to new markets. But um, yeah, I try to set the tone for content. Really create the content that that comes out of our network and. Hopefully, in my opinion, what is going to be the next generation of content uh, across the U.S. Um, hyper local, community driven. Uh, you know, fan, we're all fans of our team and openly fans of our team, but try to stay grounded in reality and, and uh, you know, not not just trying to do like the the barstool fanboy or anything like that. We try to stay grounded and, and give reasonable takes while also empathizing with the people we're talking to. One other question: I, I don't want you to be too biased here, but. Tell me about David Roddy out of Colorado State. <laughs> yeah. well, I, it's impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, tell me about David Roddy. Six five, two forty, two fifty. I mean, he's a white like Barkley, right? <laughs> he is a Barkley man. He's a total Barkley. He's like a Barkley Jokic hybrid. I mean, this yeah. guy, one of the smartest players in the league, or, or, or sorry, in, in college hoops. Uh, just a winner knows knows exactly what to do. That CSU team it, it has been absolutely fantastic. They have some big wins under their belt. And uh, I don't. He's just fun, man. There's nobody in the NBA with his build. We were trying to. We were talking about this earlier. Justice Winslow, maybe, but he's actually like a wider, thicker Justice Winslow. But the guy can pass. He can shoot a little bit. He can dribble. He can. He can defend. I mean, he's almost Draymond Green esque in the way he at the college level, at least in the way he can guard every position. And I just love. I have a man crush on this guy. He's like one of my favorite college basketball players I've ever seen. I have no idea if he's a pro, but he's a fun as heck college basketball player to watch. Uh, I'm at the point with David Roddy where I I feel I'm not sure I'll have him. We're going to do the draft guide launch next week on the ringer, which I'm excited about. And I I haven't finalized any rankings yet for the top 30. Roddy, he's he's right on the bubble. Late first round, (laughs) early second Mm. for me. Um, I mean, people are all over the place with him. When I talk to some NBA people, some some people love him. Some people think, why would you even draft this guy? Uh, I say, well, how could you not draft a guy with that type of feel for the game, the hustle and effort and intensity? That, I mean, granted, he plays you know, for Colorado State in the Mountain West. It's not the greatest competition, but you can still see so many of these translatable qualities that are at least worth a shot. That you can, and plus, the fact is that before this season, he stunk shooting from three. 
Right. He's become a knockdown three-point right. shooter. If that's not an outlier, if teams find out through pre-draft workouts, we're talking, you know, we're like really, we're talking second round pick pre-draft workouts when it's the middle of March right now. But with Roddy, if you find out a guy like that can actually stroke it from three, yeah, you should take a shot on it because you're <laughs> betting on, like we've talked about throughout this entire podcast, Adam, you're betting on players who know how to play, yes. play a smart, intelligent brand of basketball. And you know what? Roddy's one of a, quite of a lot of guys in this year's draft class that have that type of mindset. So I, I'm, I'm increasingly excited about the 2022 draft class. And Adam, I'm also excited about this podcast that we did together today, man. This was a lot of fun. This is so much fun, Kevin. It was it was a blast. We covered so many topics. It was it was great, man. I want to thank Adam again for joining the board. I love that conversation, man. That that's one of those shows where after you record it, you feel good about it immediately. It was the same thing with Tuesdays mismatch with Chris Vernon. It just felt like a good show. But I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adam. It made me think a couple of things that we didn't get to talk about. And that's teams are going to have to get through this guy (laughs) and Jokic for years to come in the playoffs. And it makes me think about how the Phoenix Suns would be crazy not to keep DeAndre Ayton. You're going to need guys like him in order to beat a Jokic, to beat a Giannis, to beat an Embiid. That's something to think about. In the same way teams were thinking a couple years ago about, well, how can you beat small ball with Draymond Green and the Warriors and Steph Curry? You're going to have to think about how do we beat bigs? How do we beat Embiid and contain somebody like him? And in this year's draft, we mentioned Chet Holmgren earlier. He's not really that mold because he's so skinny, but there are a bunch of bigs this year. You get Walker Kessler out of Auburn, who is manning the center next to Jabari Smith Jr., the guy that everybody's talking about as a potential number one pick. Kessler is a shot blocker. He's got some skill. He can move on the perimeter. And even though Jokic is smoking everybody on the floor, Kessler's the type of guy that teams are going to want. Christian Coloco from Arizona, another big with a lot of versatility. He's going to get stronger in the lower body. But a guy like him, I'm thinking about, has a chance. Uh, Williams from Duke. There's there's a lot of bigs that, that can play at the post and play more single coverage if they're able to grow into their bodies. And that's something that teams are going to have to find because these guys are not going anywhere as long as they stay healthy. They're going to be competing for championships for many, many years to come. And so just to wrap up the conversation, that's why Jokic is one of the guys who has a chance to become the best player in the world. Thank you again to Adam Mares for joining The Void. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. And a big thank you to you, as always, for listening to the show. Please do us a favor. Give us a rating and review. Pass along the show to a friend if you think they might enjoy listening to it. It's always good to have shows and podcasts to talk about with your friends. So pass it along if you enjoy it. It really does help out. Thank you again. Have a good one.